You're listening to the Million Dollar Sellers Podcast with your host, Nick Shuquette. Today's show features another amazing entrepreneur who has found success online. Now, let's learn what it takes to be a million dollar seller. All right. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Million Dollar Sellers Podcast. Today, we have Fernando on the call. Uh, thanks for coming on today, Fernando. Why don't you let us know where you're at, man? Where are you calling in from? Thanks, Nick. Man, I really appreciate you having me. Uh, so right now, I am in Hawaii. So just, uh, yeah, actually in Waikiki right now. Nice, man. And you've been there for a little bit, right? How long you been in there? Yeah, so we got here uh, in January, actually. So my fiance and I, I have been kind of like traveling the U.S., I think pretty much for most of the pandemic, I guess, since July. And then so, yeah, in January, we kind of decided to relocate somewhere a little bit warmer, uh, but also where yeah, COVID was really low. And so, yeah, we've been hanging out here in Waikiki since. Nice, man. And you've been doing some surfing from what I remember, right? <laughs> yeah, good memory. Yeah, I'm learning. Uh, it's still still early days. Not that good. Yeah. Uh, still longboarding, but uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. Nice, man. What what other stuff are you getting into out there? Oh, man. So my, well, we have a, a decent amount of friends here. So that, that's cool. been nice to have a kind of a community. Um, but yeah, man, doing like a lot of hikes, uh, actually. So did like, um, yeah, this one called Alamana, like, which is amazing. You do like you're rappelling like down like you know, the side of a kind of cliff thing. Like it, it's, a, it's an adventure. Uh, surfing is a big thing. And then honestly, just kind of hanging out. Uh, Hawaii is amazing where, you know, most of the activities are kind of like outdoors based. And so we're just spending a lot of time just kind of at the beach. We walk to the, uh, to the beach every day for like sunset and just kind of like, hang out, have a few beers, uh, pretty low key. Nice, man. That That's amazing. I love, uh, you know, I love the opportunity that e-commerce offers us, right. Where we can still have a business running yet. We're out doing all these great things that we, uh, we want to do. Is that a reason you got into e-commerce or like how, how did you end up getting into e-commerce? Yeah, man. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, like a lot of us, I think, you know, I read the four hour work week, uh, and that kind of like screwed me up, I guess, in terms of like not wanting to work and not, (laughs) especially for uh, not wanting to work, but especially for somebody else. So I think that was kind of like almost like the matrix. So you take like, you know, the pill and then you kind of just see everything a little bit differently. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how I got into entrepreneurship, you know, I never like really thought of entrepreneurship as like, yeah, I don't know why it, it doesn't really make sense, especially because both my parents own small business, but I never really thought of it as a career path, especially uh, out of undergrad. Like my, uh, I went to USC and everything is about finance, like going into investment banking and that's where you're going to like make the most money. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I worked in finance for about a year and a half, hated it, realized that everybody above me didn't seem like that happy. And so um, Nick, who's my business partner, uh, and I were like, you know, best friends from college. And so we were kind of going through the same thing in kind of that corporate world. And so we both decided to uh, to quit our jobs and go into tech startups. And so we thought that that was the best place to like learn entrepreneurship. And there was like a, a pretty well-known company in Santa Monica at the time that was just like getting a ton of press. Everybody wanted to work there. And so, yeah, we quit our jobs and took a hundred percent sales commissioned roles to, to work at that company. So we were nice. making like, 
dude, it was brutal. Twenty dollars <laughs> of clothes. We were probably making like two thousand bucks a month. Like it was, we were poor. Like live, basically living on credit cards. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just taught us so much about grit and about starting companies. You know, we learned a lot about what to do and what not to do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it ended up being like an amazing training ground that uh, kind of helped us get to where we are. Nice, man. Yeah, I love the. I love that you guys took that sales job. Uh, I mean, but did you guys just like completely bail and go all in or was it like a slow, was there a process there or what? Yeah, that's a great question. So they had a brutal interviewing process. So like you would, you would interview uh, or sorry, you'd go through the resume screening and then they had like, I think one or two like phone screenings. And then if you made it through all those rounds, then they did like a two weekend training boot camp. It was like eight hours a day, Saturday and Sunday, um, for two weekends. And basically it was kind of like survivor. Like basically they sat us down in a room of like 10 people and they're like, right in the beginning, they're like, there's 10 of you, only three of you are getting job offers. <laughs> wow. And this is, and we're competing for a hundred percent sales commission role. I don't know. Like they sold us the dream, which is like crazy. Cause I, you know, I had like a good like finance salary and everything. I'm like, whatever, like, you know, this isn't really making me happy. And then, so yeah, we just compete like for, for four days, basically over the weekend uh, or over the two weekends and just, yeah, practicing pitching, like, you know, doing like mock phone calls, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, it's funny because yeah, obviously Nick and I knew each other from college, but we were just like, oh man, what if they only take one of us? Like we're yeah. gonna be, like, heartbroken and this whole thing. But yeah, fortunately we got two out of the three spots. Wow. And That's then, awesome. uh, yeah. And then, so yeah, we ended up, joining and then yeah i mean that was kind of our first foray really into into tech startups and into the venture world and um and yeah and that kind of so what's interesting is that company ended up like basically dying after a year it was crazy like you know raised at like a hundred million dollar valuation scaled from we're like about employees 15 16 scaled to like 80 within a year all, all in santa monica and then it didn't have the right unit economics and so the company ended up shuttering. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it ended up being a great thing for our careers because um, yeah, I ended up moving to SF to, to join um, a company called Anypark at the time, it's rebranded as Fond. Uh, but yeah, ended up becoming like, the head of sales there, uh, which is kind of crazy in the grand scheme of things with like one year sales experience. Uh, but yeah, ended up like hiring 70% of the team. The company I think raised, has raised like 25 million now in venture. Um, and then, yeah, basically helped start that company. And then, uh, Nick went off to a company called Task Us. Um, yeah, I mean, they're like an amazing company. I think the last valuation that I think is, yeah, public was they were at a $500 million value, massive. And so, wow. um, so yeah, it ended up being like great for us. And then, yeah, after two years of that, we ended up coming together and starting, uh, starting this together. Nice, man. I feel like uh, sales jobs, it's like the closest to entrepreneurship you can get without like actually being an entrepreneur. <laughs> like I, that, I feel like that's where a lot of us, we like all go through that phase where we want something that's like, no, I want to be paid for how I perform, you know, because like a lot of us, I think we do an hourly job and we have that mindset of, well, how can I get stuff done faster? in an hour and then you start getting it done faster and you're like, well, now I want to make more money, but you're, you know, you don't get the raise or whatever happens, man. And you just, 
you're just like, man, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. I mean, I think there's like something beautiful about like not having as much of a, I mean, depends on the job, but like not having as much of a cap on how much you can make, right? It's like, you know, whatever you kind of take down or kill, because, you know, they refer to salespeople as hunters, is like kind of what you eat. And so that having that no ceiling in terms of like commission or bonuses, whatever that might be, uh, is, is definitely a real big motivator. Yeah, man, I agree. I, I, I went through, uh, I'd sold knives, Cutco knives, like door, like door to door. You had to ask for referrals at the end of your pitch. Like that was my first, my first sales gig. And then I did, uh, I did timeshares for a while and that was an interesting one. You know, these, they were pulling in people off the streets of Virginia beach with like a, like a free, um, gift card to like captain George's or something like that. And then these guys were selling them like 10, $15,000 timeshare packages in like wow. two hours of time. I mean, obviously the conversion rates, you know, it's low, but man, I, it just blew my mind. And in the way that they have that all mapped out the training, uh, just like, you know, the steps and like everything they have so dialed in. It blew my mind. It, it was a great experience. Like, even though I wasn't that successful with it, um, I learned so much from it. It was, it was a good experience. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's something to be said of like, if you can like, kind of like, you know, get over that fear of like reaching out, asking for business, getting on calls, really talking to people. Uh, it's just so helpful for entrepreneurship because, you know, I, I heard this like early on in my career, which I think was helpful. It's a, you know, at the end of the day, if you're kind of at the top of a firm, like if you're running your own business, there's going to be some sales aspect to your, uh, to your job, right? It's whether you're, uh, you know, convincing people to join your company and to believe in your vision, like really early on, or if you're like selling to basically earn business to, to grow your firm or a combination of the two, there's always going to be some, or selling investors. So I think there's always a, some kind of like salesmanship that's involved in entrepreneurship regardless of what you're doing. And so for me, it was like, well, I don't really want to do sales at the time. I love it now. But at the time I was like, it kind of seemed like a dirty job yeah. uh, in a sense. And so, but I'm so glad that I did it um, just to kind of know that I feel comfortable asking for business and figure out how to present myself, how to, um, you know, how to win friends and influence people, all that kind of stuff. I think is really huge. Yeah, man. Communication is so key when you, you know, like they could teach you the skill, you know, Cutco and the timeshare people, they could teach you the skill, but at the end of the day, you're like, how invested are you in selling knives and someone mm -hmm. else's timeshare operation? Like I'm sure now that you have a successful business and you're trying to bring people in, like you feel, you feel good about talking to people and selling them on it. Cause you know what you're able to do and what you're able to accomplish. And that's when the magic happens, right? Totally. 100%. <laughs> and that's, that's what I really liked about Amazon when I first got started. I, I started out uh, drop shipping and, you know, you could literally list hundreds of listings like in one day once I figured out the bulk upload thing. And then like you just have so many sales coming in like within literally within minutes in some cases. Um, that was like my first experience with, with Amazon. How did you get, how did you go from this tech world and then end up in the, the Amazon world? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. So after two years of like, you know, helping build a startups, 
um, yeah, Nick and I were kind of at that point. We're like, okay, we we've done it now successfully for other people. Uh, we were really early. Like, yeah, I was employee number two um, at the other company, and then so it was like, okay, let's let's do this like ourselves. Neither I, we came from tech, right? And so, uh, but neither of us are engineers. And so, uh, but a lot of our close friends were in e-commerce and then built really uh, successful startups. And so we kind of thought of an e-commerce as a, a great place for business people to, to succeed. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, we thought that we could kind of apply what we had learned in tech, you know, about like kind of moving fast, breaking things, and then kind of come into e-commerce and have a different perspective, a different skill set. Uh, that would suit us well. And so uh, for the first four or five months, we kind of built uh, our own website uh, that was actually going to kind of like Huckberry, if you're familiar with them, but it was kind of like highlighting products that, you know, the follower of Tim Ferriss would love. We love Tim Ferriss, clearly. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, products that were kind of in that intersection of like tech and um, fitness and design. Uh, but yeah, what we realized is that like that model was really hard for us to scale. And since we were bootstrapped and not wanting to take outside investment, that uh, it would take too long to get back to like, you know, making six figures a year. And so we kind of scrapped that after a few months. And then we realized, okay, like, you know, we, that was our passion project. That was cool. Right now, we just want to make money, to be honest. And then, so it was like, okay, what if we just like buy and uh, resell stuff in bulk, kind of like private label, but on eBay. And this is like, you know, late 2014. And then we're working out of Nick's apartment at one point. And then, you know, we receive a package, like open the door and receive a package and take an Amazon package. And then it was like kind of this like light bulb moment of like, wait, why are we going to sell on eBay if we order everything on Amazon? Like, like no one orders on eBay anymore. And it's clearly not moving in that direction where eBay is going to catch up. And so at the time we were just like, can you even sell on Amazon? And like, that was like the, the whole like million dollar question, I guess. And um, yeah, we started Googling around and then there was like courses out there and we're just like, oh man. So we just like ditched this whole eBay thing within like a 10 minute conversation. <laughs> and then it was just like, okay, we're doing Amazon. I think it's still like early in terms of like, it's not, like, there's not that much information and uh, for sure things are shifting that way. And then, so, um, so that was kind of it. Nice. So what's some of those, uh, those lessons that you guys learned from the tech startups and like, I like how you mentioned like breaking stuff quickly. Uh, it took me a while to learn that in business. Cause I was just coming out of like a traditional educational background where you're taught to like not get things wrong and you want to get a hundred on the test. So like, man, I limited myself so much because I was trying to get everything right before I would actually do anything. Uh, so is there anything that sticks out in your head that you guys really like learned from that startup world and then applied in e-commerce that helped you get there faster? Oh yeah. I mean, there's so much. Um, yeah, I would say done is better than perfect is a big lesson. So, you know, I think a lot of people have that tendency of like really striving for perfection, which I think is great. But I think startups, you know, they kind of ingrain in the, that if you're not embarrassed by your first prize, a famous like Reed Hoffman quote, the founder of LinkedIn, but it's like, if you're not uh, embarrassed of your first product you launched too late. And so it's kind of figuring out what is that like MVP or minimal viable product for whatever that it might be. Maybe like right now we're working on our, uh, 
on our like uh, automated reporting dashboard. And so we're kind of applying a lot of those same principles uh, that it's like, look, we just need to get like the MVP. We need to get like the basics done. And then from there, we're like, we're going to launch that. We're going to start getting feedback from our customers and then start uh, leveraging that to make improvements. So it's not just like us doing everything in a vacuum. Um, yeah, I would say that's a big one. I think um, one of the other things that one of the, my mentors uh, from the first startup actually taught me was that like, typically for the first year or so, when you're building a company, you kind of want generalists. You want people that are like really fast learners that uh, can basically wear a lot of hats because you're still figuring a lot of things out. But and then as you scale like your organization, you kind of start uh, putting in people that are more specialized, especially after that kind of year mark. Uh, and, you know, it depends on every company. Like if you're doing part time, maybe it's a little bit longer, uh, but you're kind of bringing more specialists to, to kind of like round out your team, but also to like go really, really deep. So like now uh, at this stage, I mean, we've been running the company for like six years. So uh, yeah, six years. Well. Uh, but yeah, now everyone that we hire is like very, very specific. So like, you know, you're looking for people that have been like VPs at another company that have already seen a company go from whatever, like, you know, 30 million to a hundred million that like have this specific background uh, that can kind of come in. But in the early days for us, it was just like, we just need really smart, hungry, like scrappy people. Ideally had to come from a startup. So they kind of are used to a little bit of that uncertainty and uh, the fact that they're going to have to create a lot of structure but yeah, I think a great way that someone put it to me is like, you have kind of like the Marines that are the really early stage startup people. Then you have like the, uh, and they're kind of just breaking down doors, breaking things and kind of just trying to figure things out. Then you have like the army that kind of comes in after one and puts a little bit of like structure and like they're kind of creating more order. And then you have last like kind of the military police. They're like the kind of the more corporate people, I guess, that will kind of put in a lot more rules and policy. And so you just have, different type of like different stage of people uh, and very few leaders uh, and also founders like are good at transitioning all that um, through the way. And so a big thing for us was just like hiring coaches, like to help us like basically figure out how to scale at each stage. Man, I love the way you laid that out because it's literally, you literally just like explained what I've like gone through on my own with like where I started and my mindset and, and like how I had to change that and how like I did when I, when I think about the people I had on my team, like they were general generalists and that's who I was looking for. Even though I kind of would hear people talk about getting a specialist and, you know, within the past year, I've kind of, I've gotten things more organized and I ha- kind of have way more, I do, I have way more insight into like, hey, we need someone who can really just focus on copywriting or someone who can focus on account health for all of our Amazon accounts. Um, and, and I've started to realize those things. So like if someone listening to this right now is like in that position, because it's crazy, like in MDS, you might think everyone outside of MDS, you might think that people in there have these big giant teams but it's not always the case. There's a lot of solopreneurs in, in MDS that have done over a million dollars in revenue. You know, may, I'm not sure how big you guys were when, when you got into the group, but uh, man, I struggled with that for so long. So like, if you're listening to this now and, and it's really, uh, you know, striking a chord with you, like 
you know, start looking at that specialization and like what departments are taking up a lot of your time and your team's time. And, you know, that's when I could really dig in and say, okay, I need, I need this person or that person to do this specific thing. Um, so I, it sounds like you had a great mentor, man, uh, to teach you that stuff. Cause with the internet, like you can hear so many things and just a lot of noise. And sometimes you just don't know what to do, you know, what to implement. But if you've had someone who's walked that path, that's close to you, that that's great. But I'm glad, I'm glad I ended up there anyways. My road was just a little, a little more windy. Uh, I feel like, I mean, I, this is some things I've learned just like in the past year or so, um, honestly, but you can, it clicks, man. Once you realize it and you get those people in, things start to click and you just see the progression. And, um, that's another thing I love about business is when you're able to figure those things out and you see the results of implementing them. Um, so like, how did you guys start to build out your team for, for Amazon? And did you guys use any, uh, like, you know, EOS or any, any program that you really attribute that success to when it came to building out your company? Yeah. So in the beginning, so we had hired, um, you know, in the Philippines and India before, uh, in, in our previous startups. And so that was always kind of something in the background of mind. It's like, okay. We're going to do that. But I think um, at the time, we thought we'd only do it specifically for really like basic responsibilities. So like customer support, maybe like lead gen, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember like at the time, it was just Nick and I, and we kind of just like, you know, whatever the responsibility was like, okay, who's like maybe a little bit like more prone to this? And that's just going to be assigned to you. That's going to be assigned to you. And I just remember like, you know, the business is getting bigger at the time. Like we scaled really fast. We were doing, okay. I don't know, maybe like 200 K a month in like month six, month seven. And like, yeah, I remember like, yeah, now we're just like kind of catching up. I'm like, Oh, what do you organize? Uh, I gotta do my support tickets. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Like, dude, like <laughs> you should not be like, I'm like, wait, you should not be working on support tickets. Uh, I was like, we need to hire someone in the Philippines like, or somewhere. Right now, that's going to take off. And then, you know, I think, yeah. And so we started with the generalists, right? And so people that could just kind of take on admin tasks, support, and just kind of like as an extension of us, which I think was great. And that helped us scale to like, honestly, probably to like 10 million a year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, over time, like we just needed like a, a more experienced team. And yeah, so you kind of asked like about EOS. And so, uh, yeah, other mentors had kind of brought up like hire, like hire coaches, like just don't be cheap about it. But like, you know, uh, I think there are two pieces of advice uh, was like hire like a really, really good finance person. Cause like your, your, like uh, on your level of like financial acumen needs to be really, really high. And then just like hire coaches and like help them, have them help you like scale as leaders. And so um, yeah, I mean, I think that the CEO coach was really, really helpful for us in terms of kind of implementing a lot of those kind of EOS best practices, everything from like, yeah, the level tens, uh, we don't follow like their initiative structure. We, we got actually something from a different coach, which is called the OKRs, slight very, uh, variation of it, but that we actually a lot, like a lot better. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we kind of like try to pick and choose based on, what we learned from like, you know, our, you know, employees that are like really experienced 
but also from like kind of the outside consultants that kind of help us, you know, ideally make less mistakes. Nice, man. Definitely some good advice. There's uh you know, I started out in arbitrage reselling and like in that community, there's a big kind of push against like hiring coach coaches are like, nah, just go on YouTube, man. Watch YouTube videos. It's like, and, and you, I look back on it and it's like, they're still not, and I am including myself, they're not valuing their time, right? Like they're not putting a number on what their hourly time's worth. And like, at some point when you've got some money coming in, you've got to start to realize, you know, how much you make in your business working hourly and and that helped me kind of decide like okay I I should be focusing on this stuff not this stuff um, but it you know it's a tough mindset shift man did you guys ever go through that or or did you feel like that tech startup experience kind of skipped that for you guys? Mm, a good question. Maybe it's because we're Asian, so it's like you know investment <laughs> in, investment in education. I don't know if I can say that, uh, but yeah, I mean. I, I, yeah. So I've heard that before where a lot of people are like, it's too expensive. Our coaches are really expensive to be clear. Um, but I think there's just so much missed opportunity, right? Like yeah. I think about it, like, like okay, look, the, the cheapest way of doing something is like get, buying the book, right. And then trying to sell them. Like the next level up is maybe like buying a course. Right. Uh, and then you're like, and it's like, you know, obviously a package, maybe there's like coaching sessions, the, the most expensive, but I think the, most effective is hiring a coach and like it's not any coach right it's not like some like life coach that just decided like they didn't like their career and it's like okay i'm gonna become a life coach it's like an experienced entrepreneur that you really respect that can kind of come in and say like hey you want to get to 100 million i've done it like i can tell you exactly what you need and you're you're getting like basically an advisor that you know, if you're building something really big, especially it's cheaper than giving away equity, but that can like, is invested in you that uh, will meet with you frequently that can do so many things that you normally can't get. Like, even if you get like a friend, right. To, to kind of be like a sounding board, like it's unlikely that your friend is going to go through and like meet with all of your leadership team and then find out like, okay, who's really good. Because for instance, let's say I have like a, you know, a VP of finance. Like, this is, for me, like, the first VP of finance that I've ever hired. So, like, do I really know if this person is that good? Uh, or maybe, like, they're, they're still, a, like, junior. Maybe they should be a manager. And But having that outside perspective of, like, someone that's met tons of VPs of finance, that's, that's interviewed them for their clients, and that's hired them on their own, and can be like, yeah, this person's coachable or can, like, is, should be a VP. Or maybe, like, honestly, you need to hire a CFO. Like, this person isn't, like, is it going to get you to that hundred million or whatever that number is? And it also creates like an amazing, like uh, outside accountability. Like, you know, for me and Nick, we've been friends for so long. If like, if I'm late on something, he's gonna be like, ah, don't chill. Like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, you know, I, and then if he's late, it's the same thing. Right. Cause like, you know, we're friends, but I think having the outside coach and we're committing to like, Hey, we're going to get this done by this day. Yeah. And we respect him so much that we're not going to like drop the ball, even though like, I, of course I have the most utmost respect for Nick is that we're friends first. And so we don't have that same level of like accountability. So I think there's just so many things that you, you for sure can learn on your own, but you're not getting that experience. And that's what you're really paying for. Like we're having them come into our level tens. 
to kind of like audit them and be like, hey, here's some suggestions of how you can make improvements. Like one thing, like we had a tendency, we would have never known because I don't even think it's brought up in EOS, but it's that we shouldn't be running the level 10. You should have somebody else running it because we should be like more active participants. And so I thought that was like an interesting realization I would have never thought of if it wasn't for like the coach. And so just like little things like that, that you can make improvements to uh, really quickly. And uh, yeah, it's great. Like now yeah, he's meeting with a lot of our senior leaders uh, and, and coaching them in terms of like different areas of leadership that they want to work on as well. Nice. So for the, for the level 10 meetings, they actually suggested like you're still at the level 10, but you're not the one just leading it. Someone else is. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we're moving towards right now. Uh, yeah. Based on his advice is uh, like, uh, yeah, historically we've been running them, but yeah, what we're going to be trying uh, is having somebody else like kind of run the meeting and moderate uh, so that we can just be more focused on like bringing ideas and creating clarity versus like actually like moderate. I like it, man. I should probably take note of that myself. Cause I've definitely been running mine. Um, Man, you, you laid out a lot of great advice there. Like, can you kind of speak to some pain points that someone listening, they might be going through that you think would be like a, like a sign that they need to hire a coach? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think once you have like a certain level of percentage that you feel like safe and comfortable with and you have like a pretty consistent amount of revenue and you can afford whatever that is you know i would say like coaches probably run anywhere from like two to five k a month right and so maybe depending on how early you want to invest in it maybe once you're over like 20k in profit a month um up to like yeah maybe a floor of like 50k and yeah I, i would really consider it and just thinking about it as you're like investing in your infrastructure you know i know a lot of like like large product companies will invest like, you know, whatever, 5% of revenue into like R and D. I think for a lot of like private label businesses, specifically on Amazon, you don't have to invest that much, uh, thankfully, but I do think investing in your team in terms of your leadership and helping you just, yeah, make less mistakes and, uh, and focus on the right things. I think it is, is really invaluable. I think, yeah, they've, they've paid for themselves like multiple times over, just like helping create clarity, helping us, uh, you know, sometimes like having to like shift people around into different leadership roles, just based on like their kind of like recommendations. And yeah, I mean, they'll kind of like help you even figure out how to structure the conversation, right? If you're having to, to make some like, you know, difficult decisions and personnel changes, they can be like, okay, you know, how are you planning on having this conversation? What's your game plan? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And it's like so many like kind of second order effects that you don't necessarily always think about because it's your first time having this conversation. But they can bring in that perspective of like, oh, don't forget, like, don't forget these like, these other conversations that you need to have. And I think it just so like it, it ends up going so much smoother because you've thought through everything. And I think that's like the real advantage. Okay. So are your, your coaches that you've worked with, are they, are they guys like us who have kind of like been through it and worn a lot of different hats and they came out successful or are they, are you hiring coaches that specialize in certain areas of business or both maybe? 
Yeah. So I think it all depends on the stage of your business and what you want. I would say probably the first one I would probably say is like a, a general business coach or a CEO coach. Uh, that would probably be my first recommendation for, for the listeners. And then they're going to kind of review their team. They're going to review like, do you have like a CEO dashboard or kind of like a metrics dashboard? They're going to review uh, your, you know, your accountability chart and do you have the right people in the right seats. Uh, they're, they're just going to kind of just like look at your, just like your system, like basically it's like, Hey, like, is this good or is bad? And then help you like kind of prioritize um, working on those things. And then I think over time you kind of just start uh, hiring different coaches for different things. Like, um, you know, I hired like a public speaking coach, like Nick's hired like kind of like a performance, like mindset coach uh, where we've hired uh, kind of like more CFO coaches. Um, I mean, obviously like attorneys are kind of coaches in a sense. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I think there's just so many areas of a business that can use like real expertise. And, you know, as you're growing, maybe you don't have that budget to bring on like a a general counsel, like right in the beginning, or like a CFO, then, you know, maybe it makes sense to have that person kind of coach one of the people that you have internally, and be like, hey, here's what you need to think about at the next level. And so it's a great investment for our team. They know that like, hey, we're in it with you like for the long haul, because we're investing in this. But it's also you're getting better results, right? Because you're not having to pay for someone that's like, 20 years of experience, uh, 30 years of experience, you're hiring someone a little bit more junior. But they're getting that, like that, really like one-on-one coaching from someone that's uh, been around. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of their background, like yeah. Uh, so like one of our coaches, like like I'm in YPO, so he like he does a lot of like YPO businesses, and so he does a lot of like yeah one-on-one coaching and annual planning. Uh, he's that kind of a career coach. The other one uh, that we've worked with is like yeah, he works with CEO Coaching International, just like he's a boss. Like, and that was like what we wanted as our first coach is just like, we want someone that has just, you know, has like really scaled and that we really respect. Um, and that like, when we take their, like when we get advice from them, we're going to take it because we have so much respect for them. And that was what we're looking for. And so I would say that's the kind of background, but they're both kind of in their fifth. So, so. Okay. And so, I mean, man, like I, I hope people are, are, you know, taking this, knowledge that you're dropping to heart but why don't you like let them know what it's done for you like where did you guys start out and where are you at now so they can really know the power of operating this way oh man i mean it's been huge like i mean i would say yeah i mean it's hard to compare like revenue numbers especially because we've sold a lot of uh businesses like since but i would say what it's really done is helped us like really form like a really solid like organizational chart and in kind of weed out the people that didn't make the most sense for the organization and and really force us to prioritize putting the right people in the right seats uh which you don't really like realize how important it is until you make that switch you kind of excuse me sometimes you have those people you're kind of making excuses for that have been around for you know since the beginning and you're kind of there's like hoping that one day they're just gonna like magically become this all-star but i think you kind of mentioned enough to them to the coach and then they're like you got to prioritize this change you know what i mean and they'll help you 
you know, kind of guide the conversation and they'll give you like a lot of perspective and they kind of help you create that urgency uh, to make those replacements. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it ends up just being better for the organization. Like I'm less stressed. I uh, have just like stronger people that report directly to me. And so I think there's just so much advantage to, uh, to working with a coach like that. Um, yeah, I would say those are like some of like the really big things off the top. It helps you prioritize. I think like they're going to like, they're going to make you really, if you're like going after a new shiny object and if you're like, you know, really like soliciting their feedback, you're going to be like, okay, well, how big is this idea? And they're going to ask, you know, more questions that is going to make you realize like, Hey, maybe I should put this off to Q3 or Q4. Or, you know, maybe like this is like a distraction and you have so much, like, so much other stuff that you need to prioritize that like figure this stuff out first. And so I think that like uh, has just helped us make so many lost mistakes as well. Yeah. It's great to always have like a, someone who's keeping you in check because no matter how good you think you are, you're not like, uh, you're not the best at everything, right? Like there's always 100%. something we're missing. I feel like, uh, cause we get so focused on certain things at different times. Um, what are some of, so what are some of the things you guys have been able to accomplish? You mentioned selling a couple businesses, you know, what, if you can talk about those, let us know what those companies were and then let us know where you're at now and what you've got going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So last year we sold some of our brands that were like kind of sourced in China. So we sold this to one of the aggregators. Uh, yeah. Shout out to G1 brands. They're great. They're also an MDS. Uh, and so, yeah, we sold a few of those brands to them specifically. Uh, and then also as a result of MDS, uh, so we met like a lot of like really good friends within the community, like, you know, you, but, and then also like some of our actual like, business partners. So, um, Anthony Bui Tran is basically, uh, the founder of Solid Tradecraft. We partnered with him, uh, and then we partnered with Leo Lemon and then we started, uh, Pixelfy together. So the we have four of us. Uh, and then, yeah, that ended up doing super well. Uh, and then we actually sold it in March to actually two MDS members, which is kind of funny. So like Ian, who started MDS, uh, had also started uh, Rebate Key with Leo Lemon uh, as well. And so it was kind of cool, like full circle, I guess, if you will. Um, yeah, we ended up selling Pixel by to Rebate Key. And, uh, so yeah, just like very incestuous, I guess, within the MDS family. Uh, but yeah, I just, yeah, I ended up, um, yeah, finding it a great home with the rebate key team. And I know they're going to, they're going to do amazing things with pixel five. Um, so yeah, that's like some of the stuff that we've been working on in the past. It's come uh, to fruition. And then, yeah, I mean, what we're working on now is, uh, just Nick and I, but, uh, yeah, we're working on marketplaceops.com. And so that's basically like a leading strategy uh, firm for Amazon, uh, where we help with a lot of like, we call them like the challenger brands, but these kind of like up and coming like CPG brands and we help them maximize our Amazon. Nice, man. Yeah, it's uh, amazing the friendships and the business opportunities that happen uh, within MDS. I mean, it's, you know, talk about like networking, man. Like it's, it's such a good network of people. Um, it's, it blows my mind all the time. Just like the things that happen when you get us all in a room together <laughs> and like yeah. the ideas that people have and, and you're in, it's not just an idea. Like you're having an idea with people who take action and implement things. And, 
that's when the great stuff can happen, like building a company that gets sold and then, you know, being partnered with another company and, and things like that, man. I, I love hearing those stories. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little more about uh, Marketplace Ops? Like what type of businesses do you work with? How can people find you if they're interested in what you've got going on there? Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of businesses, yeah, we're typically working with companies that are doing uh, at least like a million in revenue up to like, I think the business is about 50 million. Uh, but yeah, I mean, companies that just, you know, maybe have an internal team or they're wanting to replace uh, an Amazon agency, but they want, yeah, like, I guess a, a really like expert team. Like, you know, we have a team of like 60 that are, you know, hyper specialized now in terms of every area of Amazon. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're really looking for the right partner that can, you know, uh, help them scale and hit their goals. I think that's like the main thing. Uh, but yeah, we work with a lot of, uh, we work with a few like Amazon kind of native brands, but we also work with a lot of like CPG, like better for you brands as well. Uh, okay. That's what, actually where the majority of our clients are. Nice. And uh, where, where can people reach you to find out more info about what you have going on there? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Just Fernando at marketplaceops.com or on LinkedIn. You can always reach out to. Nice man. So, uh, dude, you've dropped a lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge here. Lots of good experience. It's amazing what you guys have been able to accomplish. Um, how old are, how old are you by the way? I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> I'm turning 35 in a few weeks. Wow. So yeah. all this before 35, man, that's, that's absolutely amazing. And, uh, did you just get married? Engaged, 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 engaged. Yeah, so just got engaged. No kids yet. I no imagine kids. no kids yet. Oh, yeah. Nice man. Well, you've accomplished a lot before that happens. Um, props to you, man. That's amazing. Thanks, um, man. If you had to go back and do it all over again, man, I feel like you got so much right. Like, what what would you do differently, knowing what oh, you know now? Oh, dude, honestly, we've made, I'm making it seem easy. Yeah, we've made so many mistakes. I, I think, um, I would say two things. I, I would say, like, failures are part of the problem. We actually talked about this in our team uh, town hall last, like, a few weeks ago. Is that, like, look, mistakes happen, and as a part of the process, I think, you know, a lot of the time when you're joining a startup for the first time, you kind of think that everything's linear, and you just, like, you just kind of, like, go up and to the right and like, you don't really make mistakes. But I think setbacks are a normal part of like learning. And I think it also means that you're taking on like a risk, which is great. And you're pushing the envelope. And so I would say just to expect that as, as part of the process. And, you know, you just try to make, try not to make the same mistakes over again, but just expect that you're going to make a lot of mistakes. That is the first piece of advice. And the second one uh, that I just heard recently that I, I had to remind myself, because I'm always like, super urgent pushing things like really really quickly but i think you know business is a marathon and not a sprint and remembering that i think is really helpful and so yeah just making sure that you're keeping your team's morale really high uh that you're thinking about the long term and not just like a quick buck and, and really investing into your like your team into your infrastructure into um systems so that at the end of the day like you have a business that kind of like fits in your goals. Like, you know, I think a lot of people want to be able to work a little bit less or to not have to be putting out fires and all that kind of stuff. But then on the same time, they're kind of like me where they're just like 
pushing things so quickly that they're making a ton of mistakes. And so just realizing that that, like, that comes at a sacrifice if you're pushing so fast that you're going to have to put out more fires. And so there's kind of an interesting balance that you have to kind of find uh, that uh, is really helpful. And so brand management has been really helpful for us in terms of like, of really focusing on like, okay, what is our system? What is our reporting? Like, wh- how is this all going to like work together? And like, what is our flywheel? How are we going to like really reinforce that and only do things that fit into that flywheel? So I think just becoming more disciplined uh, has been really transformational for us. Yeah, that's great advice, man. And I, I'm kind of the same way. Like I, I like to move fast and it's uh, it, it can wear you out, man. But like I've, I've been telling myself recently, like, Hey, you're building an asset, you know, it's, you don't have to make money from this idea tomorrow. Like it might come six months from now, you know, like, and when you start building all those different assets and then things just kind of come into place in the long run, man. So it's, uh, you know, thanks for saying that. Cause I constantly need to remind myself, uh, of that. Cause I do always just want to keep, keep going and stay in hustle mode. Um, so definitely trying to slow down a little bit. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It was a really good time having you on and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Are you a million dollar seller looking to network with like-minded entrepreneurs? Apply for membership now at milliondollarsellers.com. Leave us a review and subscribe now so you don't miss out on next week's episode.